Welcome to the League of Leaders podcast. We are your host, Kevin Davis and Erica Monet. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, bro. We made it 2023. I know it seems like 2022 was like two years long until November. Then it just seemed like three days. It did. It literally did. Like I remember Thanksgiving and I remember there's some being maybe a day or two after. And then next thing you know, it's Christmas. And I look up, it's January 4th. (laughs) What happened? I think that it also felt weird, at least here in Chicago. And we we pretty much get the same kind of weather uh, between our two cities, Detroit and Chicago. But I feel like we kind of got robbed of that seasonal feel. There wasn't snow. Like we got snow and then we didn't. And then it just got cold. Got a little little sampling, a little drizzling of snow, and then it got so that winter storm that came through the entire country um, when it hit Michigan, and it may have either hit you all sooner, um, but when it hit Michigan, it was literally a few days before Christmas. So um, I remember driving on Christmas Eve, and they did a really good job preparing the roads in my area. Um, for the storm. So the roads were clear. However, because it was so cold and so windy, there was just black ice. And I ended up sliding on black ice and getting into an accident. Well, a collision, I will say, because there was no other vehicle that was involved. But yeah, it was a scary moment to be on the freeway and look like you're about to go off the cliff of the freeway. It was traumatic <laughs> but thank god it was the it was that bridge between 696 and 275 six that's that's problematic over there because it's always ditch it is it's always it's always something over there and um and i and it was so many cars that did the same exact thing that i did um so i still don't have my car to this day i'm still waiting <laughs> well i feel like we got robbed order parts it definitely got cold, super cold here. I think it was uh, below zero a couple of days. And then it was like 40 degrees. And it was like Christmas with a little dusting on the ground. And I'm like putting mm-hmm. a little frost blanket on. I have a little frost blanket you put on your windshield and your mirror. So I'm like preparing for the winter and making sure <laughs> the shovels are together. And, and it didn't happen. And so then you look up, Christmas comes, and then New Year hits. And then now we're already going into the second week of January. So this is our, this is our time of year uh, for us, you know, for for planners like us, like, what are are you working on this year? Um, So I'm looking forward to, so last year I did, um, I gave myself three words that, and I just like declared them over my year. And last year, my words uh, was, to let's see, it was to it was qualification, duplication, and freedom. Those are my three three words that uh, were like running themes for myself. And so this year, I gave myself three words as well. And those three words um, are collaborate, simplify, and stewardship. I feel like any and everything that I do this year, it will not get done unless I collaborate. It will not get done if I am not a good steward over myself, my health, my wealth, all of that. Um, And I think I can help my own just stress and anxiety if I begin to become more intentional with simplifying things in my life. So like what you're saying, like, yeah, this is great for planners when you're like, oh, I want to organize this and I want to do this throughout the year. Um, But I'm a person that really likes to do a lot. (laughs) So I have to learn how to simplify Mm -hmm. um, my own processes so that I don't become overwhelmed. If I want to continue to do the things that I do, I have to learn how to simplify. So I'm hoping this year I'm able to um, really hone in on that and be just a really good steward over myself and my health and wealth, et cetera, as well as being more collaborative because I am doing a lot. I know it's just not going to get done by myself. So, so that's the focus. Yeah. For me this year, I'm focusing on application. Um, 
last year I spent a lot on learning and, and, and growth and development and you kind of reach a point where, okay, now what are you going to do with all of that? And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to applying everything that I've learned over the past year, different experiences and putting them into action. So, um, you know, folks will see more from the League of Leaders. You see a lot more of us using our talents and what what we've learned and bringing it back to the village. Um, you'll see that. And, you know, as a part of my application for 2023, uh, I'll be following through on, on part two of something I started last year, which is writing a book. Uh, so last nice. year I put the plan together, put my outline together and, you know, I'm learning how to space things out. And historically I'll get an idea and I would just do it. And down the line, I'll find out I'm no longer interested in it. It was just one of those things I was interested in the moment. And so what I'm learning to do is have an idea, sit on it, marinate, let it marinate for a little while, continue to kind of chip away at it. And if I still am interested in it, you know, six months later or a year later, then let's pull the trigger because it's going to be a, a huge investment of time and resources. So uh, yeah. I'm still as passionate about that book project um, as I was last year when I wrote the outline. So this year I'm actually going to start the writing process. Um, and then hopefully this time, this time next year or earlier, you know, we'll have something on the shelf somewhere, but that's my thing. Um, but then also this year traveling, um, I felt like I traveled, used to travel a lot before the pandemic hit and then a pandemic popped up and it turned me into a bit of a hermit where I'm super social, super extroverted, hermit. But, I, <laughs> but I, but I enjoyed not going anywhere and not doing anything. And some of that was just, you just you realize that you are doing so many things just out of routine and out of habit. Yeah. And so the pandemic took a lot of those things off of our plates. And you look up and say, man, I have so much time for activities. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to just go right back into the things that I was doing. So uh, one of the things that I've already kind of committed to is traveling more. So the number of trips for the family on deck, some solo trips and some things like that. So application and enjoyment, those are my two main themes for 2023. I like that. I like that. You you gotta you gotta enjoy life because mm -hmm. I don't think like we make that a priority. Um, one thing I learned about myself in 2022 that I'm bringing over into this year um, when you talk about traveling, I felt like I traveled the most I've ever traveled in one year last year, and I want to keep that same momentum going. But what I learned is that it's a part of my self care. Like I didn't realize how connected it is to my well-being. And so when I say like, hey, I want to be a better steward of my health, I want to really identify these things that energizes me, the things that provide me, you know, the peace, things that provide that um, satisfaction in my life where it fills me. And traveling is definitely one of those things I definitely want to do more traveling too. And as you were talking, I was thinking like, man, I know that there are things that I wanted to do in terms of writing a book. And I told myself that if I don't get things started in November or December of 2022 with this book, it's not going to happen until mid year 2023, because I know mm -hmm. the first quarter of this year was going to be very busy for myself. The chain, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, all right. So for me, um, I wanted to, um, get it more kind of intentional and begin that process of writing my book too. So I feel like everyone around me is writing books. And so that's just like the next thing, I guess, in someone's career and their life, <laughs> like, yes, yeah, so I did this, I did that. And I wrote a book. So, um, so I think that's like the next thing. So more to come on that. And I recently, so last year I got training to become a certified um, strength coach. And I just took my exam. I passed my exam. And that's huge for me because I got test anxiety. So your girl, I, be, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like freak out. I'm trying to be uber prepared. And so it took forever to take this exam, but I took it and I passed. So um, my next steps is just to really now coach some people. And then uh, then they'll provide their evaluations 
uh, to Gallup to let Gallup know, like this girl knows what she's talking about. And they'll provide me with the icing on the cake with my certification. So super excited about that. So I think this year you'll probably see more of me um, either posting and just talking about um, strength coaching. So helping people identify their strengths and um, helping them navigate this career journey that we are all on. I definitely look forward to, you know, uh, your book idea. And you, you made a good point about it seems like everybody's writing books and that's a good thing, you know, especially especially back yeah. professionals, um, you know, looking at my own library, it's growing with the number of books that are written by uh, black professionals, and black authors. Uh, but we need more. We need we need more content from from black professionals sharing our, our story sharing our expertise, giving us sort of guidance. We need that in real time. Uh, you know, it was kind of like the 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 catalyst for League of Leaders podcast was that I didn't hear enough um, content from a Black male professional perspective. And yeah. if you heard something, it was somebody that was, that, it, you know, it's nearing retirement or at the retirement age. And we need something in real time. We need something current. And I think at our age, you know, I'll be 40, 44. This you stop keeping count. Once you turn 33, like, wow. it's like you don't even keep count no more. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll be 44 this week. And thinking about my friends and our professional careers, we've been working for 20 plus years at this point uh, for folks who, you know, um, graduated college or started working in the early 2000s. We've been working over 20 years at this point. So we do have something to share. And so you see more people shedding that imposter syndrome. You see more people taking their experiences and turning them into frameworks or turning them into some sort of uh, coaching book or something along those lines. So we need we need all of that. So I'm here for this movement of everybody writing a book. Um, I got some great friends in my circle that have written some books. One we'll talk about a little bit later today. Yes, um, yes. And there's a couple more I'm looking forward to uh, later this year. Yeah, same, same. So yeah, so let's let's just jump into this. So January is January 2023 now. As a Black Greek professional, this is the month that uh, all of <laughs> not all but five out of the nine. Um, organizations out of the Divine Nine, we're celebrating our uh, founding, our founding, um, our founding day. So mm -hmm. January fifth um, was the um, they celebrated 112 years Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we have January 9th, uh, which is uh, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated celebrating 109 years. That's the only to... that's the only day for the fraternities that matters. It's my birthday. <laughs> and, and I was, you know, my fraternity celebrates, you know, 109. And I was just about to plug in. Like, I was like, you know, somebody else's birthday is January uh -huh. 9th. So, January I mean, it's a great day. Shout out to those Capricorns. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, because we're all Capricorn babies. Um, and then we got January 13th. So we got the Women of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated celebrating 110 years. Um, and it's just phenomenal to know that our organizations have reached that that level where over 100 years of service. Yeah. Uh, so January 15th, we got the Women of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. That's 115 years. And then we have, you know, the best, the <laughs> finest, I shall say, um, the women of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, 103 years of uh, finer womanhood that we've been able to uh, grace the world with. So that's the, you know, J16 is just one of the best. You know, this, this, this time. A little biased. Uh, <laughs> this, this time of the year is kind of comical to me because, you know, it's all like good natured, fun and, and humor and, and folks are petty, um, you know, about the, about what happens in like this span of seven or eight days. Um, mm -hmm. you, th you think about that back over a century ago as students were typically returning from Christmas break. They're like, all right, new year, new us. We started organizations. And so you got five. That's exactly what nine. happened. Yeah, five of the nine started, uh, started. you know, they, they uh, were founded within that, that first week back from school, yep. you know, from the break. So 
But it's, it's like crazy when you think of how it was, what times were like way back then. There's no internet. There's no, you know. Uh, they just had the calendar. Technology. They had a calendar and they had. That's like all they the, had. <laughs> the, the postal service. And uh-huh. that's it. That's it. That's it. That's and it. From that look, and from that, look at what happened with all these organizations, um, you know, just doing a great job yeah. of service and, um, you know, professional yeah. networks and thinking about my career now at Erie, um, you know, I was referred in by um, Kimberly Williams, who's a member of Delta Sigma Theta. My last mm-hmm. job um, referred in by one of my frat brothers, uh, Phi Beta Sigma. Job before that was a member of Sigma Gamma Rho referred me there. Before yeah. that, it was a member Alpha Phi Alpha. So it's all good fun and we poke at each other, but we do look out for each other. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it all. Like, even not, even if we don't wear the same colors, um, we, it's just a level of sisterhood and brotherhood that we have uh, that really transcends all of over our careers, you know? So it goes beyond just, uh, just work. So it's good. So we're going to shift gears a little bit and, and in true Kevin form, I like to space my thoughts out from when something happens. I like to really make sure that I'm not caught up in the moment or the hype of a situation. I like to just kind of let the dust settle, find out as much as I can, if there's more things to find out. And so today we're just going to chat about uh, the Deion Sanders situation, but we're not going to talk about it um, in the, in the way that most people have been discussing it. We'll, we'll touch on a little bit, uh, but for those who don't know, Deion Sanders um, recently took a role at Colorado University as the head coach of their football program. And uh, he previously served as the head coach of the Jackson State University football team. And so mm-hmm. Deion's arrival at Jackson State was met with much fanfare, much hype, much acclaim. <clears throat> was because because of his history he's prime time right mm-hmm. he knows how to get the media he knows how to get everybody's attention um he's arrogant and for the most part he delivers so people like that and they like that attention that was being brought to not only jackson state university but historically back black colleges and universities overall and with that you know Dion made some commitments to recruitment. He made some commitments to shifting the narrative uh, to show that HBCUs could be lucrative uh, football conferences, football divisions uh, for, for, you know, for athletes um, and not seen as a second tier or a last resort option, uh, which is how some people viewed HBCU football um, or some people looked at it as, as, as not as serious um, or as, you know, not as competitive. So Dion came and was, was, um, he was committed to changing that narrative and the PR machines were going crazy. Um, you started to see a rise in coverage in HBCUs. You saw some renewed interest in HBCU sports from different folks. Uh, many HBCU alum uh, were excited to see their schools or conferences get this level of notoriety and publicity. And so fast forward, um, you look at some of the improvements or some of the commitments that were made um, by Dion. Um, he amassed a 26 and five record over three seasons, 2022 season. Um, the only loss they suffered was in a championship game to North Carolina central. See so the undefeated regular season. There were back-to-back uh, SWAC championships. Uh, there were some improved facilities. There were a number of wins that people could hang their hat on uh, for Dion. But the decision to go to Colorado was a very controversial one. And so we're and not why do into- you think that? <laughs> well, I like, why do you think it was so controversial? Well, I think that there's a number of things. And um, one is just that folks felt it was too soon. And that's, that's, that's subjective, right? Uh, some folks felt that he was a sellout because he got his start at HBCU and he left uh, for a predominantly white institution in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So it was a right. day. Um, some mm-hmm. folks feel he indirectly disparaged 
the the Jackson city of Jackson, Mississippi, and some of his comments. That's subjective. Um, some folks feel that he recruited players and they kind of left them hanging, which I can understand. You know, players like to go not only for the program but for the coach. So if the coach is gone, where does that you know how does that bode for me as an athlete? Right. Um, there were a number of things that you know, that, that transpired that it had folks just up at arms and, you know, uh, it's not up to me to validate how people feel or how they felt or to argue how they felt. But for me, and I, you know, I thought about this when it happened, I was like, we're going to discuss this on the league of leaders, but from a different perspective. Yeah. Because for every, every reason that people gave um, in opposition for his decision, it made me think about our professional careers and how do you know when it's time to go? And if you look at the measures that, if you look at the measures, some of those, those the measures that I shared, it seemed like a good time to leave. You know, Dion made a statement and he's like, you leave when you're on top or you leave when you get fired. Those are the two ways coaches leave athletic programs. And that's the truth. Coaches yeah. rarely leave on their own after a marginal season or two, they get fired. And I thought about that from a professional perspective and how that relates to the workforce. And, and I think it all starts with being realistic on why you joined an organization, why you joined, what do you want to know? What do you want to learn? What type of impact do you want to make and then I think it's easier to make that distinction on when it's time to leave, regardless of what other people think to mm-hmm. you as it fits into your life plan or you know, your career trajectory, you have to make those decisions. And so that's something that I adopted late in my career. You know, when you're younger, you go somewhere, you're just like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to work. And, mm-hmm. and you don't think about leaving. That's the old school mentality. You just, you just stay there. And you typically don't leave until you hate it. And that's such a, a problematic. It's always a bad, it's something negative, something bad yeah. has to happen for you. Like, I'm about to leave, you know? Yeah. That's, and it is problematic. It's very problematic because when you're in a position where you are only leaving organizations because something bad happened, you're losing something. Mm-hmm. You're not gaining something at that point. So we should really take a step back and think about. I know this thing that's negative happening at work is going on, but what is it that I need to learn? Like we're losing out on an opportunity to grow if um, we always just leave and not really try to work through what it is. And I'm not saying you have to stay in toxic uh, workplaces, but understand um, what it is that's going on so that you can figure out the lesson in it. So that you can say, okay, and if the lesson is I understand what's going on, I understand how I need to move now and now I can leave. Good. But some people just leave and not take away that lesson. And then it carries over into the next job. And I didn't understand. Well, let me take that back. I understood why people were in an uproar about him leaving Jackson State. Um, But I also took into consideration that these are moves that he's making for him and his family. Mm-hmm. Who are we to tell him this isn't a good move for you? He didn't give me the blueprint on how he wanted to navigate his coaching career because he ultimately probably wanted to be at a PWI and probably retire from there. I don't know that, but whatever moves is best for him because when you were talking and kind of just outlining his, um, I guess, his high points in his career, I'm thinking two words, credibility and execution. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things that he brought to the table and that carries over no matter where you go. So he was able to do that and do it very well at Jackson mm-hmm. State. So who, as a cultural perspective, as a, just an independent contributor or just someone that got an opinion, Like, who am I to say what your next move should be, whether it's right or wrong? I think that only he can decide what is right and wrong uh, for him in his career move. And I think that we should take that same energy 
and put that into our own um, career planning and how we navigate things. Like you're saying, like, why are we joining this organization? Like you need to really figure out not only why are you joining this organization, but what is your goal? Like, what's the whole plan here? Mm-hmm. Are you saying like, hey, if I'm in accounting, for example, and let's just say I really want to focus in on accounts payables and I really want to be an expert at accounts payable, then you need to make sure that all the things that you have to learn about accounts payable, you're going to get at this job. And if you're not going to get it, then you move on and you figure out a way to get it. So it's not about the job. It's not about the people. It's about the goal that you have in place so that you can fulfill that action plan and get to where you're trying to get to. There's so many layers, you know, which which we're just saying is when you think about all of the different layers and complexities in this particular situation. And one one of the glaring issues from a cultural standpoint is there just not enough high profile and or high visibility coaches at universities leading programs. And so that automatically focused the spotlight on Dion and everything that he was doing. And some folks, some it, be, it, it kind of forced some folks to look at him as like a savior. And that's on them. That's not a Dion thing. That's, that's not them. a Dion thing, right. And right. they put all of their stock into what he was doing and what he was going to do for the school. And you know, one of the things, statements he made after he left was, I'm only the coach. I can't change this school. And I think some people expected him to carry the weight. And he's like, I'm not the president of the university. I'm not the athletic director. I'm the head coach. I'm a coach. (laughs) So there are unrealistic expectations from him. And, you know, there, there's a level of accountability. You know, I I feel like if I don't say this, um, while I think it, if I don't say it, I, I feel like I'll get raked over the coals. There is a level of accountability when you recruit folks in and, you know, you, you do owe them, whatever you committed to them. But there's that, there's that two-way street, especially in, in, in sports. Um, players can leave just as much as coaches, and we've seen more players leave and when things don't work out for them. So it's, it's a two-way street, but you are, yeah. you are responsible for those commitments in some way, some way, shape, or form to the folks you've committed and recruited to because they came for that purpose. And so thinking about that from a leadership standpoint, you're recruiting a whole bunch of people in at your organization and you leave, that sets, that kind of puts them in a bad situation too, because sometimes folks want to come in and, well, I'm, I know Kevin hired you, but Kevin's gone. And so Kevin's gone, right. Some things around. So the commitments that brought me there, brought you there, no longer stand. And so now you're in jeopardy. So there's, there's all of that. But yeah. it goes back to that point of there needs to be, not, not just in, in college sports, but in leadership, there needs to be more... Uh, black leaders in these high profile, high visibility roles so we can spread the accountability, spread expectations. And we don't expect yeah. one person, one person to do that, to carry it all. And something mm-hmm. you said earlier um, reminded me of uh, what this one guy said. I went to a networking event about five years ago and his name is John Hudson. And at the time he's working for this company called Slalom. Uh, he's leading HR. And he said, you need to ask yourself two questions when you're leaving. Are you running away from something or are you going to a better opportunity? And if you're always running away from something, which we talked about earlier, people leave when it's negative and toxic, you're going to face that same situation or something similar down the line until you learn how to confront and address it. And when you're leaving for a great opportunity, that's not the, it's not the same, you know, you, you're actually going for something because you know what you want. And so I think that to your point, we don't know what Dion's plan is. He doesn't owe us. He doesn't owe us that. Us, <laughs> like no one knows my plan, you know, my job now, they know that I am, I give you 100% while I'm there. I'm not, that's not to say that I'm going to, I want to be there 10 years or 12 years or mm-hmm. five years. I don't owe anybody any commitments, but the only thing I owe you is what I said that I would do while I'm here. And that's it. And I felt folks were projecting their feelings and expectations. And some of it onto was, him. Some of it was what he said. You know, we can't get around some of that. Right. But 
he doesn't but because he had that celebrity status prior to him becoming a coach, he's Deion Sanders, yeah. right? So, I mean, he had that celebrity status and you know how social media, you know, treats celebrities. So it's just like because he had that and he brought that status um, and imagery to the university and now he's moving to a PWI, you know, it's just expectations of other people that we are not responsible for. <laughs> and so to that point, flipping it back onto us um, so that it fits and applies, you know, with the, with the League of Leaders and, and our objectives. You know, I challenge all of our listeners to think about their careers and they think about where they are now um, and to put them in those three buckets of why are you here? What are you looking to learn or experience? And then what are the outcomes for you? Essentially, what does success look like for you in this role? For you. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, you know, put that in a grid and say, you know what, I'm looking for a new role. Uh, say I'm looking for a vice president or a CMO role. What is it that I want in this particular opportunity? I want to be able to lead campaigns, lead digital strategy, lead blah, 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 blah. Okay. What do the outcomes look like? You know, I want to grow the budget from X to X. You put all those things out there. And so now you can look back and say, you know what? I've done all these different things. Does this organization still serve me in my journey to my my next goal, not ultimate goal, but just to my next goal. And if not, then you have a little bit more time. As long as it's not toxic and it's not problematic, you can say, you know what? I think I can accomplish this in the next year. So let me work on that. And you have that frame, you know, that that, that mentality of every two to three years, I'm looking at my next opportunity, either I'm moving up or I'm moving out. But you can't realistically do that unless you know why you're there what you're looking to do and what success looks like. And so for Dion, he can say, this is what success looked like inside me to go. I don't have to agree with it. But has that been an approach that you've taken in your career? Um, That kind of, why am I, why am I taking this? What I want to do and what does success look like? Has that been your approach? Yes, that, that has been my approach. Just for me, um, you know, my background's in HR and OD. So there was always a certain experience I wanted to obtain um, to really say, I, I'm ready to go to the next level. There are things that I know that I'm naturally um, talented in, and there are things that I know I need to develop and invest time into to really build that skill set. So um, I would take on a role and say, in this role, I'm really trying to take on more change management work from the HR side, from the people side of things. What type of role do I need to get to really hone in on, you know, HR transformation type work? Um, That was a priority for mine, uh, for me. Um, Another priority, I took on a role just because it had, it was a leadership role in HR and I wanted to be a leader in HR. And what does that look like? What does that feel like? When will I know? Like when you're saying like what outcomes, like I had to determine like, how would I know that I got what it is that I feel like I needed to move to the next stage? And oftentimes that was me observing other leaders and saying like, am I at that point? And these are good leaders that I you know, would observe and admire. And then sometimes it was my mentors that would pour into me to let me know like, hey, when you get to this point, call me, let me know. And so then I knew it was time to move or time to um, add something else to what it is that I was doing. So that approach, I mean, wholeheartedly, if you don't know what it is that you are defining as success or what it is you're trying to you know, do, you're just going to work to get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that can be problematic because at the end of the day, when you really look at it, you're like, why am I really here? <laughs> you get to the point like, I don't even know why I came to work today. But you, you know, what you said was like a um, um, a shift in mentality that I'm seeing more and more folks adopt slowly, but I wish more people would. And it's really being taken, you know, taking a critical eye to what you were doing. Why are you here and what are you doing? Instead of the old school mentality of I'm here to get a check, uh, unless unless that is what unless that if is that could strategy. be the goal. 
That, that could right. be the goal. So I don't knock it either. <laughs> right. So, I, you know, I, I have to always ask at that, that kind of asterisk there. If you just want to go to work and work, we are not talking to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. So we're talking to those who are on that on a different track, those who are right. looking to rotate, move and grow in different ways on a regular basis. And so, you know, as we, we talked about earlier, just, you know, new year, new me phase. And so for 2023, you know, I do challenge folks to step back, look at your, your current career, look at your current role. And does it still serve you? Does it still serve you? And is, this, is it going to help align you with your goals, whatever it is that you want to do? And if it's not, Maybe take the next few months and figure out if it can happen there. You know, maybe it's a, a matter of, you know, talking to your supervisor, your manager, whoever, to say, you know what, I'm ready for my next challenge here. Or, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, relationship you have, just saying, you know what, I think I'm, I'm going to explore some other options later this year and transition out. Some people can have those conversations, you know, with their- some people can, some people can't because no one wants to give anyone on notice, you yeah. know? So yeah. I agree. Like you have to have that relationship to really have that feel comfortable to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a good spot to really be in, to have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. with your boss, um, with your HR partner, just to say, Hey, you know, I think I'm about, I'm going to be exploring some opportunities um, and possibly transitioning out by the end of this year. Um, I mean, it's, it's a really boss move, in my opinion. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, I think it, it depends on how you start. Um, so I think you're, you're always in your best, you're always in, a, in, in the best position when you just start a role, typically in a new organization, unless you are in a, an existing organization and you are tr- transitioning to a new department that's completely unrelated to your current one. And you start to have those conversations where you sit in a driver's seat with your boss and say, you know what, these are my goals for this role. These are the things that I want to accomplish in this role. And so now you've shifted the power to, I'm here to do this job, but I'm here to accomplish these things while I'm here. And then you have those regular check-ins with them um, this is how you get their, in most cases, you get their commitment to investing in your success, your training by starting out with, these are the things that I'm looking to accomplish. So if you start on that foot, you you document all of your successes, your experiences. It shouldn't be a surprise when you have that conversation to say, I'm looking at the next step up, or I'm actually thinking about transitioning um, to my next challenge. So that is, I think that is a boss move. Um, not all folks are there, but how do you get there? You got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So let's shift the discussion, um, continue on this, uh, our spinning bars uh, approach here uh, with our books, our articles, reports, and, and stories of real people. So we talked about Dion. So let's talk about the book, The Unexpected Leader, um, written by Jacqueline M. Welsh. I'm sorry, Baker. I'm looking at the doggone book and the forward is by. She should have just came to somebody else. Because I'm sitting here looking at the book. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm looking at the book and the forward is by Jacqueline M. Welsh. But the book was written by Jacqueline M. Baker. So I <laughs> want to make sure I clarify that so I can give her her props where, where it's due. Um, but yeah, so the the unexpected leader, discovering the leader within you. Um, I was so open for this entire book. Um, and I loved how she laid out the book in kind of three sections. And it was like the first section to me was like, hey, this is let me just lay out some things you may already know about leadership. Mm-hmm. And then the second portion was like, let me give you something, some, something tangible, some sort of framework or what she calls leadership blueprint in the book. Um, and then like the third section really kind of wrapped everything up nice in a bow. So I like the approach she um, she took with that, took with this. What did you think? I thought it was a great book. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of folks kind of end up in leadership positions. And, you know, that's on an interim basis or they have to assume some some sort of leadership responsibility. 
And I thought that this good, this book did a great job of saying, okay, now that you're here, let's do something with this opportunity instead of taking the approach of nobody trained me or no one prepared me uh, for this opportunity. The unexpected leader is that book that says, now what? Here are the next, you know, here the, here's the playbook for what success looks like and how to identify a number of things. Um, you know, in particular, embracing embracing your new role uh, within an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I also think that for people who are just new to leadership and want to take it to the next level, not that hey, I got this role, I'm a manager now, woohoo! But I actually, really want to make an impact. And taking that seriously on um, the responsibility of your people to support and serve your people. Um, I think this book um, definitely sets a really good foundation for people to really be able to um, just be able to be a better leader in that aspect of serving and supporting their people. Because it allows you to really take a good investment or reflection, I shall say, of yourself and understanding who you are and how you show up for people and what you contribute to others, um, understanding yourself and um, all that good jazz. I think those are just the fundamental pieces of um, being a leader, of really knowing thyself. So um, I love how she reiterates that throughout the book. Yeah, one thing that, that you mentioned, and I had it down as a note to go over, was how do you show for your for your team? And I think the first step, as, as as Jacqueline mentioned, is embracing the fact that you're no longer the main character, right? So it's it's no longer <clears throat> about you as the individual contributor who gets all of the shine and all of the attention. Now it's up to you to be there for your for your team, uh, remove barriers, remove obstacles, show investment in their success. And I don't think that that gets talked about enough in in professional spaces. Um, everyone wants the title. Everyone wants to pay. But they don't understand that your work shifts. You go from, in, in most cases, your work shifts. You're no longer the person that's in the weeds. You're the person right. that's looking down the road. And a good bulk of your time is spent focusing on the development of your team. And that requires some training. That requires some acknowledgement and acceptance. And I, I don't think that many people understand that. Um, you know, I think about my career, you know, my day-to-day, probably half of my time each week is spent in one-on-ones, reviewing goals, speaking on behalf of my team, Um, having higher level conversations on behalf of my team with peers, um, finding opportunities for them to grow within the organization or develop or find some training because I need to develop them just as, you know, my boss allowed room for me to develop. And if you're not a people person, leadership is not the move for you (laughs) because you are, you're responsible for people. You're responsible for people. And and that's people want to get into leadership because they're like, oh, it pays money. You know, I'm looking at the salary here and this is what I want to do. And I'm like, but it's a dual responsibility because you're responsible for your team's success, their individual career trajectories. Like you influence it heavy. Um, On top of that, you also have certain things you need to execute on and make happen as a leader from a business standpoint. So mm-hmm. that dual responsibility in managing that, whether it's a multitasking or maybe Monday, Wednesdays, it's the people, Tuesday, Thursdays, it's the business. Like however uh, your days are able to be managed to do that, it's it's a, it's a, it could be a struggle. It could be a struggle. And so people need to understand that aspect of leadership that it's just not about you. So how do we show or teach people um, as they navigate this leadership journey that they're on, that you got to get comfortable with the spotlight not being on you and you put in the spotlight on others and like being your team's like hype man, mm-hmm. right? 
how do you do that? And how do you get someone to be wired in that way when they didn't come from that? You know, I think that it starts with being a leader, you know, speaking from the standpoint of, say, one of my direct reports gets promoted. So now they're a leader. I think that the the first step for many folks would be the model, the model the way. And so having those conversations, me as a leader with you, if you're on my team, and so we can talk about, we can start to talk about leadership expectations. What does it look like to be a leader? What are requirements of being a leader? And showing them how you show up. So here are your goals, here are your, you know, here's so many challenges facing this year. These are the ways that I'm, I'm invested in your success. So showing that investment in success, um, actually investing in their success and then having, just having some candid conversations on the difference between being an individual performer or a high performer, excuse me, individual contributor and a high mm-hmm. performer versus what a leader looks like. So you got to kind of start putting those breadcrumbs out ahead of time with folks, but that doesn't always happen. But in the event that you are in a position where you can have that one-on-one time with your team and explain to them, this is what leadership looks like. And in meetings, start to highlight this person or start to give them that background work. Because that's a lot of what you do as leaders, a lot of background work or reconnaissance work further down. But what I do like about this book is that it is written for those who may not have had great leaders they may have had great leaders, but didn't understand the um, the framework or the technical terms about what was happening around them. And it disarms folks from having an excuse of I wasn't trained. And I think this, yes. book, this book does a great job of holding you accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're here now. So let's talk about leadership styles, right? These are the different types yep. of leaders and these are the pitfalls. You know, they, um, Jacqueline put a grid in here of this type of leader is great here, but then it it's not so great over here. So it's a, it gives you this continuum of leadership style so you can understand maybe who you are or even identify maybe who some of the other players are around in your organization. So you're then able to yeah. say, you know what, um, Kevin seems like a this type of leader. So maybe let me try to approach it from this, this way. perspective, mm-hmm. but it, it, it just arms folks from excuses of I wasn't trained or I wasn't prepared. Um, yeah. And they get any, like I say, even for seasoned people, it, you know, I learned a lot in a book and I've been in leadership roles for, you know, many years, but there's always a new perspective or a new approach that you can learn. Um, or it might be a new term, you know, a new term or updated term. So, um, in the absence of having a leader that teaches you and walks you through, I think books like The Unexpected Leader give you all of the tools, or at least, if nothing else, the the base level mm-hmm. of of tools and resources to build upon to continue to grow. Absolutely. You know, one thing she mentioned in the book that I um I want to say I recognize but never really put words to it was this concept of where when whether it's leadership or not, but when someone is ready and so excited to take on this opportunity, that's a promotion or take them to the next level. But yet when it comes to growth opportunities, they shy away from it. And it's like the question is, this, so why do we do that? It's like we're so excited to take it to the next level, but we didn't even put in the necessary time and work to even be at the next level. Mm-hmm. And so we should, it's a matter of just really examining how we invest and develop ourselves. And um, I love that, you know, throughout the book, that's kind of the theme of, you know, taking advantage of these growth opportunities. Um, Another concept or another approach she took in the book was talking about how, um, like when it's performance eval time and we're talking about, you know, what did you do well? What 
you didn't do so well this year. Yep. And we talk about weaknesses. I love how, cause I'm the same way. I have a love hate relationship with it too. Like I don't really like talking about weaknesses um, in that aspect. Now, I think you should manage, manage your weaknesses. Absolutely. Uh, but I'm not about to make that the focus area of my development. And so um, I love how she, you know, kind of hold you accountable in that area. Like if there's opportunities for growth, you really need to kind of change your mindset as to how you're looking at these things. And so that shift in mindset is powerful. Two sections that she had in a book. Um, one kind of goes along with our, our last segment where we talked about Deion Sanders and just kind of knowing when it's time to move on was the section um, about the life thesis and so it requires you to kind of sit down and think about yourself. Who are you? Um, you know, what keeps showing up? What are you really good at? And what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And what moves and motivates you? And I think once you sit down and really figure out the the themes or, you know, the recurring recurring themes or you'll start to figure out who it is that you are and, and what it is that you want to do. And that takes a little bit of time to really sit down and figure it out. And, you know, you get to a point where you just can't continue to just roll. You have to start putting some things on paper, um, mm-hmm. being realistic about, I've always been good at X, Y, Z, but you really haven't been good at it. You were just told to do it and you did it. So you did it, right? Is that, you, <laughs> right is, that you, is that what you want to keep doing? If not, don't write that into your thesis. Yeah. This is your opportunity yeah. to kind of set your course. Um, I love this. I love this approach because it removes the autopilot that we've been on and it puts you in the manual mode where you got to be extremely intentional with mm-hmm. what you're doing because I believe, and I even tell my children this, life at the root is based in two things, decisions and relationships. And when you create a life thesis, you're able to identify why you are making certain decisions in your life. So earlier when we were talking about, hey, I only got this job because I'm trying to get this money. If that is the goal, you know why that decision you're making to make this money or what goal you have financially um, or to pay off this debt or whatever could be stemming from it. So when you do this type of work, you're able to flow out your, the rest of your decision making, not necessarily flow through your life on autopilot, but you're able to make better decisions for yourself and for your family when you're able to really take this time and invest in doing things like this, like the life thesis she's outlined in her book. One section that I liked um, in here is also the everyday um, ways to lead. You know, many times we hear about folks saying that they didn't have an opportunity to showcase their skills, their abilities. And, you know, and, and I can say from personal experience, you may have been given those opportunities, but you didn't recognize them as such. Uh, but I think Jacqueline did a great job of, of putting down, I believe it's chapter 10, uh, putting down just those everyday ways to show up. So to me, it's a, it's a new way to um, show leadership, ability, to look at every opportunity um, that's before you to um, build a relationship or build a connection in minor ways. And those little things add up over time. Um, so I thought that was a great, you know, a, a great section within the book to um, not wait for formal <laughs> commitments or opportunities yeah. to lead, but to show up every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um I think another good one, I think, for the type of audience um, that we talked about earlier that this book could be for um, are the leadership traps. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really a good thing to put into a leadership book because, again, people think like, you know, it sounds so sexy to say I'm in leadership, mm-hmm. <laughs> but no one understands you know, some of these pitfalls, these traps and some of the things that aren't so pretty, aren't so sexy about leadership. And so um, when people say, I don't like people, well, you shouldn't be a leader because this is not for you, <laughs> you know, because you will you will follow one of these traps or one of these pitfalls. Absolutely. And so 
she's outlined, I want to say eight of them um, in terms of understanding and just escaping the different types of, of traps. And the first one that a lot of us have heard about is the imposter syndrome. And while it's not a clinically diagnosed um, syndrome, it is one of those things that we all are aware of that we can downplay, like downplaying our abilities. Like, I, I know I do it. And someone had to tell me, like, Eric, I need you to trust your dopeness. And I was like, that's a quote. You should put that <laughs> on something. Mm-hmm. But um, but in actuality, we do. We really need to be able to not be afraid and uncomfortable with the stuff that makes us dope. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uncomfortable because it seems as if like we are trying to be so egotistic about ourselves and so full of ourselves. But if we do not shine the light and love on our abilities, who's going to do it? And I, for some reason, we were taught in society and corporate world, we're kind of taught like our leadership team is going to do that for us. So it kind of takes the power off of us or like the responsibility off of us to not kind of do that and to put the work in there. But when it comes time to actually talk about yourself and outline your abilities and your talents, et cetera, it's very hard to do it for that reason because we're not staying in tune to ourselves. So downplaying our abilities, I'm like, man, these are some really good pointers for someone who really is new to leadership or even been on autopilot in leadership. Yeah. And you've been in leadership for like 10 years, but yet you've been operating on autopilot. And most likely you've probably have fell into one of these traps. So you mentioned something that, that, that Jacqueline listed as one of the pitfalls and that's believing that someone else is responsible for your leadership journey. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something that we've been conditioned to accept that if you if you are dope, somebody will recognize it. And that's not always the case. Sometimes people don't like you. Sometimes people don't notice it. Sometimes you aren't showing up the way you think you are. Um, and sometimes you aren't signaling, pick me, I'm ready for the next phase. And so um, you have to figure out a way to own that. But and you know, connected to that, I think, is is the section that Jacqueline put in the book about uh, finding your tribe. And so when you you find your tribe and you find folks that are um, that have a similar level of success or more success, you realize that you know they've leaned into their dopeness and they aren't afraid to show it. And they're also uh-huh. able to give you that feedback. They're also able to give you give you that feedback that's either negative or positive, and you can receive that from them. And, you know, thinking about my circle of friends is, you know, it's it's grown and decreased at the same time. And you you change where you spend most of your time Um, Mm -hmm. and then you you start to spend time with folks who get you and understand you a little bit more or you feel are a little bit um, more motivational on your journey to wherever that is. And so you have to find that great tribe of folks who are not afraid to give you feedback. Folks are also hungry. Um, you know, and I, and I feel like, you know, you can't, you can't be the dopest person in your tribe because then you fall into a place of complacency and it's easy to rest on your laurels because you're doing more or better than everyone else. And it may not even mm-hmm. be by much. So, you know, you right. kind of lose some of that hunger um, in there. So yeah. Yeah. And I like I like that, too, is I'm all about, you know, helping people identify their tribe um, because it, it, it takes a little bit of strategy to it because it's, again, like how she outlined. These aren't people who are like you. These aren't people who are just going to be telling you uh, yes all the time. Like these are people who are going to challenge you and help you grow. And I concur with you. Like my my tribe has grown, but yet decreased, but yet it's grown in a way where the depth of the relationships um, are more significant. The quality of the people are more significant. Like, you know, so it's it, it definitely varies, but it's extremely important um, in your journey to have a tribe, definitely to have a tribe, because when you have that emergency in your career and you need to be resuscitated, who do you go to? Absolutely. You got you to gotta have some people you got 
in your in your corner. So um, your tribe is extremely, extremely important. If you were to add a complimentary book to go along with The Unexpected Leader, what would you add? It's like a a follow-up read or a pre-read to this book. What would you add? Mm. So I was going to say um, Carla Harris's book, Lead to Win, is something you should read after you read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you said a pre-read, I didn't think about that. Um, so that's why I'm like, huh, what would be a good pre-read? I would say um, Carla Harris's book, Expect to Win, would be a yeah. good reread because I think she goes, she gives you a good um, kind of snapshot of how important expectations are and how important setting yourself for yeah. setting yourself up for success looks like. And so if yeah. you take that, then you take the unexpected leader, which then goes into great detail and gives, you know, a number of scripts and prompts and frameworks it tells mm-hmm. you how to do it. And so then yeah. you can maybe circle back, which I haven't read uh, Lead to Win yet. It's on my list for this this year. But I think that might be a good little sandwich. That could be a really good sandwich because I think that you're right. Because when you said a pre-read, I'm not like, ah, I wasn't prepared for a pre-read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do. I, I agree with you because it gives you, like the expect to win piece is more like, to me, a strategy on how to just navigate yeah. how to be a strategic and effective professional, mm-hmm. which feeds into becoming a leader, right? And so that's why it's a good feeder into this book, I think. So I, I would agree with you. Um, now, lead to win. I'm not going to front like I read the whole book. I read some of it in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> so the portion that I did read, I was like, uh uh-huh. So when you said that, I'm like, honestly, I think that after reading this expected, uh, the unexpected leader that I'm going to finish out the lead to win book by Carla Harris, because I do think that leadership is very broad. And there are certain areas that I feel like uh, Jacqueline's book gave us that foundation. And I feel like now Carla's book is going to allow you to hone in on kind of your leadership greatness. And so um, so that's just so far what I've gotten from it that I feel like would be a good follow-up book. So I wanted to hold myself and be honest there. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm going to change up my order of the books that I plan to read. I'm going to slide lead to win in a little bit earlier so I can let it all soak in after reading yeah. Unexpected Leader. So what are you, you know, before we get out of here, what else are you reading these days? So what are your, what are your other recent reads? Mm, so I just, hold on, I just bought this book because you told me about um, Uphill. So I, I got Uphill. So I have to read that. Um, yep. So that's one of the books. Another book that I am interested in reading that I that I bought is called Say More About That and Other Ways yes. to Speak Up, Push Back, and Advocate for Yourself and Others. So I've heard really good things about this book. So uh, so this is on my list of, of to read. And it sounds like you read it already. Yeah, one, one of my book clubs, we just read it um, in, I think, November. That mm-hmm. was one of my favorite reads of, of 2022. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Uphill by Jamel Hill is that, that was a page turn. You said it was dope. So I was like, I'm going to get it. It was dope. You know, I'm trying to get into more like memoirs and biographies this year, kind of mixing it up a little bit. And reading Jamel Hill's book was great. You know, I know a fair amount about her, you know, both, you know, all of us being from Detroit, Detroit yeah. public schools, all of that good stuff. Um, but I, I, you know, I can't say that I knew the intimate details of her of her career. And, you know, I just knew some of the kind of controversies, um, you know, some of the places where she worked, um, you know, some of the nonsense that she kind of got pulled into. Um, but I felt like it was just a dope book on perseverance, understanding your worth, um, you know, not being defined by, you know, your life experiences. So um, those, 
those are two reasons we did Amber Cavill's book. Say more about that. That was an amazing book. Um, you know, it kind of talks about advocating for others. I feel like that's a good follow-up book to Brene Brown, uh, Dare to Lead. I feel like that's a, a good second book, Amber Cavill's book. Okay. Um, my most recent read was uh, Emotion by Design, which is written by Greg Hoffman. Uh, was just retired about a year or two ago as the chief marketing officer at Nike, um, just kind of sharing his, his career, his journey, and, um, you know, his final laps at Nike, you know, working on campaigns for Kaepernick, um, you know, leading Nike through, um, you know, some of their campaigns and, and such, you know, after the death of George Floyd and kind of the great awakening of America in, in 2020. So that was a great book. And actually just had him on a book club. He joined us and he joined in with us to talk about the book and his experiences. So if you love marketing, if you love branding, and or you like Nike, I think Emotion by Design is a great book to check out. And it's an easy read. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to check more out about this uh, this book here because when it comes to being an advocate for yourself, we tend to um, have difficulty in that in the same ways we have difficulty in being able to outline our own talents and abilities and being able to articulate them and articulate the value it provides to people um, and organizations. So I'm very interested in in diving into Amber's book here. And uh, shout out to Amber. Amber is also from Detroit. So we always got to plug our local folks, just yes. like Jacqueline Baker, yes. also from Detroit. From the D. Well, yep. So I just got to shout out our 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 uh, Detroit authors. I know because so. I just I was like cause I just put out all my people are from Detroit books. <laughs> With Jamil and Amber. <laughs> this is Jackie's book. So, yep. Detroit is always in the house. Well, with that, uh, I think this has been a great discussion. This is that our first Spitting Bars episode of Elite Leaders. And again, I'm, I'm so glad to have uh, Erica joining as as the co-host here with the League of Leaders. I feel like we had a great and I am discussion. happy to be here. <laughs> so we look forward to, to more. Uh, we have some great interviews that are coming up next. And until the yes. next time, this has been a League of Leaders. Peace.